that's not that's not a great start. No, but it, well, no, it was a lovely wedding. It was a, it was. I mean, you know, seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Yorkshire glowing review. Seven out of ten. Was there too much food? Was there too there much was food so and drink? Was so that the, the problem? The best thing would it have gotten, if, they'd, if they'd been smaller portions, would it have got? Would it have crept up to an eight out of ten? The best thing about Hugh and Gemma's wedding, apart from the romance and the love. And the performance of the best men. Oh. And also, it should be said, the groom's speech, which is... And I want this on record. <laughs> All right, OK. This will not be edited out. Having, having done a groom's speech myself, averagely, five out of ten, I always thought, don't try and be funny, get in, get out, thank everybody, and then sit down again. Yeah, tick the boxes. Yeah. There are certain, things you've, certain duties you've got to, uh, to carry out, and then leave, leave the hilarity to the best <laughs> yeah. men. Your best man's speech is funny. Your room speech is solid, and your father of the bride speech is the kind of is the wild card. That can very much go either way. Gemma's dad, excellent job. Excellent. Seriously, seven and a half out of ten. Steve and Matt, as best men, excellent job. Nine and a half. Huge amounts of work ten. went in. Thank you very much. A bit of stardust as well. A bit of stardust. Thank you to Dan Walker and who, Juan Mata, who who couldn't come because his daughter had her summer school concert. That's a terrible. Uh, how is that more important? <laughs> For some reason, that's more important. Thanks, Dan. Screw you, Dan. <laughs> The best man's speech was the best men's speech was was excellent, uh, particularly just the the work that had gone into it to get Dan Waters, to get Juan Mata, to get Vincent Company. But the groom's speech, and this is no in no way detracting from your effort, Steve. The groom's speech is the best groom speech I have ever heard. Well, that's extraordinary. I have a laptop here which actually has some notes for our upcoming program. That if you like, I can just go and find my groom's speech and read you that for another time. I'm not sure it would. I think the the jokes were were specific to context. (laughs) That's true. But a, a couple of people did did sort of. You could hear whispers of people saying, "Well." He is a professional, isn't he? <laughs> but you delivered, Hugh, and that's what's important. I, I had the most backhanded of compliments from from the father of the bride afterwards, who said, I'm really pleased your speech wasn't too polished. <laughs> it made it sound a bit more from the heart. Oh, right. Sorry, what, what exactly? How much professionalism were you expecting? Because I knew Hugh would do a good speech, because he, he is a professional broadcaster you would expect nothing else Suge the um, the father of the bride also did a magnificent speech which oh, as Mr. Can, Kumar to you Mr. Kumar sorry <laughs> Mr. Kumar did an excellent speech and as you were suggesting Rory you know that the father of the bride speech can be a little bit of a yeah. chaotic mess and that was really putting the pressure on me and Billy the other best man because we were like there's so much love in yeah, the room yeah. for Mr. Kumar and Mr. Ferris and people don't really know who we are we're not going to get that sort of natural empathy from, you know, standing up and everyone being, oh, great, it's our old friend Steve and Billy. Because a large large portion of the people in the room didn't know who we are. So We'd You'd not... never met Gemma's cheerleading friends? No. No. So not we, were like re- we were really, because we were hoping that, you know, Mr. Kumar would bomb terribly or that Hugh would get overly emotional and it would be a car crash. And instead they both did excellent speeches. No. And going, oh, the bar has been raised far too high today. Don't worry, there was plenty of non-love for Mr. Ferris in the best men's speech. Sure, at some point, you, you basically said I was effeminate. So. I had to put a line through. You are effeminate. <laughs> there's, well, there's no proof of that. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong foppish, with that. Foppish was the word I used. <laughs> Although, the other, my, the, apart from the, the appearance of Juan Mata, the other great highlight of the best man speech was the huge cheer for set-piece menu. Oh, there was, yes, there was a lot of love in the room. Yeah, there was more love in the room for set-piece menu than there was for me and Billy, quite frankly. Well, I don't know if that's true, but it was, it was close. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, groom speech... 
I'm, 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 I'm letting you have a nine because I've already been given a nine and a half. So yeah, oh, yeah that's fine. Okay. Uh, welcome to set piece menu. I feel like we need to cheer. Way. It was, it was as disinterested as that uh, on the day as well. This is set piece menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Although you will note that owing to the fact there's been no complaining about spicy food knees and whether 48 year old should actually be allowed to wear super dry or not we are chinchless oh where is he he sends his love and he will return so joining me Hugh Ferris are Steve Wyeth who if you're abroad will be almost permanently presenting your sport on BBC World I will be and yes. Rory Smith, Give who, us a wave. owing to the fact that doesn't work, you know, doesn't work that way, <laughs> who, owing to the fact that he is the New York Times chief soccer correspondent, does not see countries and borders. He is a writer of the world. I think that's broadly true. Yeah. I don't, people keep telling me it's interesting. I get abused for being both British and American. People get very confused. But only one what of those people is think true? you're American because I write for the New York Times, so they assume that I must be American. Is it because you started dropping the the U's from a lot of your words? Well, we write in American rather than in English, so, we, so everything is Americanized, as you would expect. But no, it's more that's that... Americanized with a Z, not an with S. With a Z. Because I assumed you had sub-editors for that sort of stuff. They, they still... The occasional ones still slip through, and there's certain ones I can't quite bring myself to do, so I can't write cleats instead of studs. Well, that's just ludicrous. Not And softer shoes instead of boots. I, I, so some still slip through, but as a rule, I have actually... Yeah, I, I now think of favour, not having a U in it, colour, not having a U in it, not that I see colour anyway. Uh, <laughs> no countries, no borders, no colours. The Do you draw your bath from a faucet? Uh, I don't really have a bath, Steve, it's 2017. <laughs> <laughs> and also there's no drawing a bath anyway, since 19th century. Draw a bath? I always find that, I find that weird when people say, oh, she, that someone's fallen pregnant. Like it's an accident. <laughs> Stumbled upon it. <laughs> oh my God, I'm pregnant. They fell as they were trying to draw the bath. So what, my mum asked Kate, when did she, when, when did she fall pregnant? It can't be my mum, she knew. Uh, someone asked Kate when uh, when she, she fell pregnant. And I thought, it was a really, what, what a strange way to put it in 2017. But then I suppose get is a bit brutal, yeah. isn't it? Was, when did you get pregnant? <laughs> when did Rory do that yeah. thing that happened? <laughs> yeah, were there any follow-up questions? How did it happen? <laughs> Where? The storks will be arriving what were the at the beginning of October, magically. Bitter disappointment with the um, circumstances. We have, uh, we have met um, of a morning. Uh, as a result, the three of us have only just eaten breakfast. So over the next two uh, podcasts, we will be enjoying um, what I think athletes like to say little and often, and what others might say is grazing of mm. highly sugared and chocolatey goodness. Um, we are back. I don't know if it's the same pot. We are back on the M&S Millionaire's Mini Bites in the M&S M&S salted caramel popcorn. So can I just explain briefly that the reason this is the only food that is on offer, A, I'm on my own this week, Kate's away, so I've got the dog, which makes it very hard to go shopping because uh, he's not allowed into supermarkets. Uh, and B, Steve said he was bringing the food. I offered to bring and there was no response to that. Oh, and, and, and here said, he is protesting whilst eating your food. <laughs> I would say that silence is acceptance, Steve. Would you like me to bring anything? Should I prepare a meal? You know, that's not how you phrased it. You said... I'll bring the food. No, I don't. <laughs> you should have brought, like, in Neighbours, any, any new Neighbours that happen on that now Channel 5 uh, show. You just bring a casserole round. Rory will put it in his new oven, which is 
perfectly splendid and available for new food. I'll pop out for a takeaway in a minute. Thank you for downloading and hopefully enjoying our four-part series on English football. We hope it kept you entertained for the month or so mm. uh, that uh, that was with you. Thank you for all your responses as well. Uh, we'll get into the more in-depth ones when we're all back together and Chinch has returned. In the meantime, I thought I would mention these at the very least, um, just in a passing fashion. Uh, Robin, who started their email with Dear Steve and Co. Quite right, too. So Football365 has Rory and three others, and Robin thinks it's Steve and Co. Quite right. And also to James, who had sympathy with my vertigo story after he found himself clutching, he says, to a red gate four-fifths of the way up at the Inari Shrine in Kyoto. That is the, the worst type of humble brag. So, Oh my God, my vertigo was so terrible in <laughs> so, Japan. It was the most beautiful time. I couldn't believe I wasn't enjoying the view <laughs> and the spiritual enlightenment as well. And also people have been getting in touch on Twitter. So a smattering from Steve of Stephen Co. Uh, Nigel Fuller asks, if I download and keep all four episodes Episodes of the discussion about uh, the English football as a box set. Do I get a free autographed copy of Rory's excellent book? Yes. So he's clearly already read it and now wants a copy with your uh, Yes, your you're not going to give him an actual copy, are you? you no, I am. and signed it. That we need to return to this at a later date because I've got 19 copies of the paperback sat on my mantelpiece. Did the, that the mantelpiece. smack of competition? Yeah, prizes. I think um, I, Kate wants rid of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you put them in your new storage that you have added to your new No, the, um, the storage is exclusively for things like slow cookers. So, no, the <laughs> books are not an option. We've decided, Kate's decided we have too many books anyway. So th- there is a potential yes is the answer to that question. <laughs> Uh, Send a stamped address envelope. Uh, Jacob Davis uh, said, after the first edition, uh, looking forwards to those still to come, do they feature Rory any less? He talked a fair bit in the first one. Which, uh, for which you apologised yeah, I did say sorry a for number that, yeah. of times. All right, I mean... And, uh, and Phil Horn has said, that was brilliant. Loved every minute. Rory Smith was compelling. Release the rest immediately. I don't think that's true. I think compelling is pushing it, and I do talk. I'm going to talk less on this one. It was somewhere between compelling and talk too much. Average. I think that's probably a good seven out of ten. Ironically, somewhere between compelling and talk too much is the top line of my CV. <laughs> a final and one. Three chapters of your book. <laughs> a final one from. He's hit it too well on Twitter. Guys, love the pod. My favourite bits, though, are the intros about Nespresso and stag do's. Can we have more chat and less football, please? I did see that one, yeah. Uh, there's already been far too much chat in this episode, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, so there'll be very little football. Uh, I can guarantee you that. If you'd like to get in touch, Twitter is at setpiecemenu, and you can email us. Steve and Co are available <laughs> at setpiecemenu <laughs> at gmail.com. Don't fit. One of the funny things is, is that nobody will ever address it to Chinch and others because they know full well he has absolutely no interest, <laughs> no regard for, and no ability to see these emails no, and respond to them in and any it way. Must, and it must be said that, that Robin is a is a BBC colleague of ours who sent that very nice email, so that oh. is perhaps why it veered towards... In that case, that's completely undermined what was a rather amusing section. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> Did you know that Chinch still has AOL dial-up internet? Does he? He still has a modem. Make that know. sound. I was going to make that sound, but you didn't. Did, did you do a better one than me? No, I was. Not, I was hoping that somebody would kill the boy. Did you know it's like a very small have, you, have you made car. the mistake of trying to get online at Chinch's house? Yeah, you, you, did he give you a cable to go and plug into? He sends you to his desktop computer. Uh, that's we, not true. That's, that's not, not true. That's not true. He's got Wi-Fi. Uh, we will continue with our journey through the summer with a discussion about transfers here on Set Piece Menu. The football transfer industry is now worth billions, involves players from almost every country in the world, and has even given birth to a deadline day dress code of a golden tie. I wonder how the transfer of Willie Groves from West Brom to Aston Villa for 
For £100 back in 1893 would have been reported by Jim White. He was the first three-figure footballer. Apparently that fee was basically compensation for the fact that he'd been illegally poached by Villa. He then left a year later after contract dispute. So maybe it would have had the blanket coverage on Sky Sports News HD. So basically for 120 years, transfers have actually been interesting. Well, I, I, have, I have proof of that uh, because, A, my granddad was transferred. Interesting fact. Rory Smith. To Coventry or from Coventry? From Birmingham to Coventry for £1,000. But more interesting... that big money at the time? It was, it was surprisingly... Given that he was basically a reserve left-back for a third division team, yes, I would say that was a substantial fee. Um, but what's interesting is we have the, the cuttings from Aye. the papers about his transfer in which he's described as young full-back Bernard Smith, despite being 28 at the time. <laughs> uh, I know a few football commentators who've fallen into that sort of trap. Someone on, on Twitter the other day described Chris Hewton as a good young manager. He's 58. <laughs> <laughs> he, oh, he's aged very well, Chris Hewton. Yeah. He, looked, he looked... He's in great shape, but he's still 58. So, yes, they have been interesting because my granddad's move was written about in the local paper. And also, researching the book... I went back through basically 30 years of the Athletic News and they had huge transfer coverage in the late 1910s and throughout the 1920s and 30s. And what's really interesting is that the Athletic News, or the other one, whose name I've forgotten, splashed Real Madrid signing a goalkeeper in 1925, 26. So this was a British publication. A British paper. It was when Real Madrid signed Zamora, I think splashed Real Madrid signing Zamora from Espanyol for £5,000, which is incredible that, to think that in 1927-1928 that people were talking about transfers. There's this idea, and 442 did a piece on it a while ago, that The Sun and The News of the World and Murdoch invented transfers in the 70s because it was a way of filling papers before... filling papers with stuff that you could run if games were running late. So if the games finished after deadline, you had stuff to put in your paper because you had transfer rumours. I've no doubt that they popularised it, but the tra- transfer rumours have been around since the start of football. Not a shadow of a doubt about that. Well, on this week's pod, we'll ask how a transfer comes about and indeed how it is reported now. Um, next week's show, we'll then try and delve a little bit more into the figures behind a transfer, the increasingly astronomical figures. It uh, seems to me there are generally, though, four ways of a transfer coming about. And this is through no sort of um, looking through 30 years of uh, old publications. It's just me being whimsical. Um, One, a player wants to leave. Two, a club wants to sell a player they've got. Three, a club wants to buy a player they haven't got. And four, an agent wants a player to move. If you consider one, two and three, a player wants to leave, a club wants to sell a player, a club wants to buy a player, what then is the next step? Let's uh, role play. (laughs) What What would a player do if he wants to leave and how then does it germinate into this sometimes month-long conversation about will they, won't they. You see, you've turned to me, Hugh, as though I'm... I've turned to the floor. I'm going to have to talk about it, and now I feel really self-conscious about talking. Steve. Steve, what would you like to say? Well, I'm fascinated by the whole idea that you would plant a story and that that very much still is, you know, despite the way that media has has moved on so rapidly over the last couple of decades, that that newspapers are still the go-to place aren't they for a for a football transfer planted story whether that's planted by a disgruntled player an agent or or as you suggested a club maybe looking to move a player on that that is still the environment in which we we get that information that you know social media rolling 
television, sports news, whether that's Sky Sports News or if you you know Five Live, Talk Sport, in terms of their their blanket sports coverage. That although we have all those other outlets in which we absorb sporting content, you still go to the back page of the newspaper for those tidbits of speculation about will they, won't they, or, or big players that might be on the move. And I'm kind of quite interested as to, to why that has remained the case. Why people looking to plant those stories don't use or utilise some of the other maybe more immediate um, media that is available out there to them. Because so I, I think, um, just to throw something in before Rory goes, is that the disguise is still there. Yeah, that's not what You can what be protected. That if, you, if you're a player... Or, or an agent of a player who wants your player to move or a club who wants to get rid of a player or want, wants to sign a player and you you speed through your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever it is, your Snapchat. Yes, then, obviously I'm not talking about them using their own personal social yeah. media, but there are so I think, accounts out there and you know other other media outlets that, that have that presence that you know you could utilise. I do wonder whether the... It's interesting because in the, in the States, the TV plays a very different... Um, role in the media landscape. The, the TV breaks stories a lot more. Yeah, they have they have in insiders. The yeah. So each sport has well, each network for each sport has an insider. So, for example, for the NFL media, the NFL insider is Ian Rappaport. It's Jay Glazer for Fox. It's Adam Schefter for ESPN. These are the guys who break the stories. It's not so much a, a paper-driven thing. Yeah, and that's not saying newspapers don't break no, stories, no, 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 but, but, but the, 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 even in, in actual news rather than sport, the TV breaks stories much more frequently in the States. In Britain, the TV kind of seems to occupy a different piece in the landscape, and I know that that's, I don't want to, well, thank God Chinch isn't here, but like Sky Sources, the Sky Sources. Who are has, Sky Sources? Has, it's Twitter, it's Twitter and journalists, and they do have good journalists working for Sky who, who do genuinely get stories, but even Sky, which is a big organisation, you've got how many sort of dozens of reporters up, who, are, who aren't all at the peak of their game. I, I guess in the States, I don't know, I guess that, that ESPN and Fox will, will recruit the best reporters from print, from radio, from digital, from whatever, to become their their reporter. So you have the cream of the crop. That is that does not apply in Britain. That's not to say that Sky's reporters aren't good or the BBC's reporters aren't good, but you have really good reporters on newspapers. So it's still agenda. It's still agenda setting stuff, isn't it? Our, yeah. our newspapers are, are still sort of set the tempo for the, for the news agenda, but for everything as well. So if you I mean if you listen to the, the Today program on Radio Four, they're just picking up what the, what the papers are saying to an extent. They are covering what the papers are saying. So every morning, the, the national news agenda on serious subjects is set by the newspapers. This outdated form of of communication. So. But I think the reason that they are popular for, for agents and players and clubs wanting to leak information is just they have the right balance between authority and untrustworthiness. So if something's in a paper, people take it seriously, but people don't assume it's automatically 100% true. You, there is a degree of deniability in that. So it kind of offers protection, whereas tw- if you if you were to release it to an account on Twitter... I guess it just gets lost in all that slew of that miasma of kind of people pretending to be agents and people claiming to be watching Belgian first division football and people saying, oh, my mates told me this and random people in shops who set up transfer accounts and all this. And it's it's too kind of, it would just get lost in the noise. If it's in a paper, it's partly to do with networks that, that agents and clubs and players have networks with journalists rather than with social media mavens, I guess. But I think it's largely because it's it's a way of getting the information out there seriously enough that people believe that it could be true, yeah. 
but not so serious that they know it has to be. And the way that, the way that football fans absorb this information is is fascinating, isn't it? So I, I remember when I was at sixth form college, me and a mate would sort of our lunch break would involve walking into town to the local WH Smith and flicking through the back pages and almost sneering at a lot of the, the transfer speculation. I, I hope you bought the paper. No, no never. It's oh, not a library. Never once. Never it's, once. Yeah, it's a disgrace. You know, we're like, there's no way that Leeds are going to sell Eric Cantona to Manchester United or, you know, Andy Cole's not leaving Newcastle. We're like completely disparaging about all these things. And, and football fans still sort of read stories with distrust if they don't want to believe it. You know, for example, if it's one of their rivals who's trying to sign Lionel Messi, they're like, well, that's never going to happen. Mm. And, you know, and it, and it could, it might do, you know, who knows? But if it's their team trying to sign Gareth Bale, they're that's like, well, that's a, great, it's a, br- that's a brilliant piece of news. You know, he'll, he, he'll be welcome at our club. He'll fit in perfectly. It, it, the, the way you absorb that information is through, yeah. through very much your own football bias, isn't it? With which you, through, through you, you absorb that information. And whilst there's still the people who are like, oh, I don't believe don't believe what you read in the papers. I suppose those stories are, are, are all grounded in a truth of sorts, aren't they? In terms of there's somebody's version of the truth. It's not just stuff that's plucked out of thin no, air and, and made up. There's this, and this was... I, 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 this sounds really horribly pretentious. I don't. The New York Times does not concern itself necessarily with transfer stories. If I got Gareth Bale moving to Manchester United for 150 million quid with quotes on the record, we'd run it. If it's unsourced, I think they'd probably unsourced but if I said look these, I'd have to name my sources to my office there's a much higher standard yeah. there's a much higher bar of of what it is counted as verification so I, I can talk about this I think with a degree of neutrality so fans have this perception that journalists make up stories that's not true I've never met a journalist and this is absolutely true who, who consistently makes up stories journalists sometimes add two and two together and I've done this myself add two and two together and and get kind of Maro Zarate moving to Birmingham City and <laughs> the you get four and a half <laughs> uh, which in, in journalistic parlance it's a, it's a flyer isn't it it's something it's called a flyer you will know that has a very very strong likelihood of becoming true but you have no way necessarily of it, of sourcing it at that moment or having quotes to back it up at that moment in, but you need the story on that day in my flyer writing history I would say that what you're what happens is it's something that you get bits and bobs of information that make you think that that is true and you think occasionally and it's only it's instinct really i guess you just think occasionally it's probably worth taking a punt at that so it's not that you've thought everton need a striker who's a striker miroslav closer everton to sign miroslav closer i mean he's 42 that would be (laughs) that would be such such an easy job and you know people see journalists on twitter getting angry and they see them on sunday supplement looking harassed and kind of drawn and like they've not had enough sleep being a football journalist is a lovely job but it's quite stressful at times as all all jobs are i'm not saying it's as stressful as, as other jobs but it does have moments of stress if you could sit in your house in your new kitchen and just make up transfer rumours, it would be an absolute joy. But that's that's tomorrow's job, Rory. Today's job is with us. Exactly, that's true. <laughs> so, no, th- uh, stories aren't ever made up. What they what they are is based on information from people. 
whether that's agents, players, clubs, kind of the, what I always talk to, Kate occasionally says, who's such and such? And I say, oh, he's just a football person. <laughs> and there's a lot of football people who just, who kind of have, they're kind of in the game, that, but you're not really sure how. When Hugh's called, who's Hugh Ferris? Just a, oh, he's just, just a, a football person. person. No, Hugh is, is a work acquaintance. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and nothing more. The So yeah, you, you get this information and you try... So if someone ran me and said, oh, Stoke want to sign Wilfred Bonney, I wouldn't run that automatically. I would never run that automatically without trying to check it out with somebody else. So you'd ring Stoke. But the problem is that the, the... Or you'd ring Man City or whatever. The problem is that the clubs, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, will either not tell you, some will steer you in the right direction, and occasionally they lie, to be perfectly honest. The clubs will... You'll, you'll do the good journalistic thing. You'll hear, you know, Club X wants to sign player Y from Club Z. So you'll ring both clubs and the agent, and all three people will give you completely different answers, which means at least one of one of the th- what, at least one of them, if not two, is lying, if not all three. And at that point, you're put in this impossible position, is you have this kind of outside pressure to get this information, to to get to get stories. That's your job is to get stories, and you know that three people are lying to you, or that two people are, lying, or someone at some point in the in the whole swathe of it is is lying, and you're put in this difficult position where you think right, you kind of have to kind of take a shot at which which version sounds most true, which is why you get this weird mandal language of of transfers close to and set to and set to consider and considering setting to and considering being close to setting and all this sort of weird... Just so that you avoid a set to with... Uh, exactly, yeah. But So there is this... There's an accepted... It's accepted in football that you don't have to tell the truth, which is a great shame, to be perfectly honest, because... You can get, and there was an example. There's, there's loads of examples. I, I, I wouldn't want to sort of risk anno- annoying clubs by naming and shaming, but there's loads of examples where pe- pe- journalists have got good stories that are right and have been put off them because the club have, or the agent, or the player, or whoever, has just outright lied to them. And what's irritating is that the journalist always gets it in the neck in public, whereas the players and the clubs kind of escape scot free. And it's not in. It's not necessarily. I'm not naive. I don't think the club should say these are big investment for the clubs, and it can cost money if the information comes out. So I'm not saying that the club should be going to the journalist and saying, "Oh, we're signing this lad from Roma for 40 million quid." You, you want a, you, you want a piece of that? There, you don't, they shouldn't be doing that. But I, I do think if you ring, if a journalist rings any institution, be it political or medical or sporting, and says, "Is this right?" with a story, there's kind of an honour. There's an honour thing there to say, "All right, do you know what? Yeah, it is." We, we're not going to be quoted on the record from it, but yeah, you've got the story right. And, and you're right, there are, di- there are different attitudes with different clubs. Um, there's, yeah. there's one club in the Premier League, again, we won't name names, uh, because that would be some sort of career suicide, but um, who very much is happy to do off-the-record briefings to make sure that the correct information is out there, yeah. but make sure that obviously they they do not own any of that information. It's not come from, from them. them. And in doing so, it is the, 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 I would imagine that's, that's just a policy of the media department at that club. But there are also those journalists who have built up relationships with the, either the media arm of that club or indeed the executive branch mm. of that club to be able to have correctly sourced information. Now, that's, that's essentially an ongoing conversation over many years and many transfer stories where there is an understanding. The journalist, and actually a, f- a fan reading it to a certain extent, has to understand, it's very difficult to do, do so because of all the smoke and mirrors, has to understand where that information has come from 
which of course the journalists will never say because they're protecting their sources. So they have to have a certain amount of common sense to say, well, where do you, where do you think this has come from? And then consider the motives of that person mm-hmm. in saying what they have said. Like you said, there's, there's sometimes a club will not say because it will mean that the the club that are selling the player that they want suddenly put an extra 10 million on because they now know that they're in the running for it. And there are, so there are financial implications. There are um, their own media organization implications. They need to sometimes be very protective of the fact that all information comes on the record via Mm. their own media outlets Mm. and not via a guy from the sun who's, who's phoned up and and got it right because they've spoken to the agent or they know the player themselves. So there, there is also a lot of, kind of skullduggery in that way so it's you're right as what you said steve it's incredibly difficult to look at this piece in the newspaper and not see it through your own eyes you have to try and sometimes see it through the eyes of those who have brought the information forward and then what you said rory is to also then understand that it may well be wrong but to to appreciate it's not wrong deliberately it isn't a lie unless it's a lie that's come from the club or the player or the agent well, you're, you're effectively, you're, <laughs> this is only three three very important aspects of the whole process you're effectively saying that when you read this information in the newspapers or if you hear it being followed up on on the radio or you know on a yellow sky sources mm. strap on sky sports news that you you need to try and view that information through the eyes of of the journalist who's who's written it to understand that that information might not be 100% correct, but there is, you know, a certain amount of integrity about the way in which the, the journalist has, has come to the conclusion that this might be a story. So don't don't say that, you know, that, that thing where, well, that's clearly not true, or equally, because you want it to happen, believe it 100%, to, to view it with a bit of scepticism, but but accept that you know there's there's not mischief from the journalist who's written it as, as to putting it there. There's a there's a reason and how they they have come to that conclusion and they have gathered that information in an honourable fashion. It might just not transpire to be 100 percent correct. There will, there will be there will be standards that have to be met. And, and the Sky Sources thing is an interesting thing because it, it is it is a double edged sword. It is incredibly helpful for people when when for example we're writing copy in, in a, of a similar story for the BBC. We don't have the same all same catch all phrase that allows us to to avoid some of the awkward language mm. that you Rory spoke of a little bit earlier. Well, this transfer stories come in these really, really strange parlance and you, you, you with using Sky Sources can almost get rid of all that but in doing mm. so, Sky put their name on it so the integrity sometimes suffers when a Sky Source, which has been used in a very helpful manner to try and get past all that, it says Sky Sources but if it is then proved to not be right the brand suffers mm. so the BBC have their own decision to make about whether BBC sources is something that they want to use in football transfer stories or whether they continue with the the slightly awkward phraseology which is BBC Sport understands they know it to be true they have not been allowed to or they have had an understanding with a club a player an agent that they won't name them as their source so therefore they can't say it as fact but they know it to be true so we can broadcast yeah. the information it's so really it's, funny it's a slightly awkward kind of grey area it's really funny occasionally since since transplanting myself into an American newspaper I've asked on stories like that I've said to people can I, can I quote you and the response is hilarious do they do, it's as, I mean, it's as though you've basically you've asked if you can you can kind of move into their house and marry marry their wife. <laughs> it, and it's, no, why would you quote me? And you sort of think, well, you're 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 giving me this information. So if 
and that's ultimately why on record quoting exists is it's it's kind of holding the person to account the person giving the information to account and we i think in football there is a problem for everyone that everyone is too willing to kind of to play this game of oh it's 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 off the record it's unsourced it's 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 anonymous and you sort of think well in really serious world arenas in politics in war in health in all this stuff people go on the record although it's a problem at the moment in america isn't it because all all of these unattributed sources in in papers like new york times but but everywhere all these leakers from the from the trump administration loads of unattributed unnamed sources and it's becoming an issue because first of all there are so many more than have ever been available to people before (laughs) uh, because there are a few disgruntled voices more sources and you've got colin inches available (laughs) but also it it slightly undermines yeah. In, in attempting to to add a serious note or a bipartisan note to their to their stories, well, you've got all these unnamed sources. I mean, who the hell are they anyway? So yeah, yeah there, there is an issue there too. But in, well, in, and in, in America particularly, American journalism is much more kind of I don't want to say assiduous. It's not better, but it's it's it has a different approach to sourcing and kind of identifying sources. Yes, and and they, they name them off, they, they, often they, almost they, every single most time. Most of the time, will name a source yeah. because that is the only way that. You you can kind of hold what that source says to be true if the source is prepared to say actually. But then I spoke a few days ago. I spoke to a guy for a story, a who, football guy, a football guy. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He's he. Well, in fact, it, for the purposes of going public with it, I better say football guy. But it's for a story that will remain. I'm not going to identify. But he had signed a confidentiality clause when he left a certain job. And he gave me some quite good information, and it would make the story much better if I could quote him, but I can't. So you don't, because that's that's yeah. kind of an honourable thing to do. So, but I think the problem in football is that we 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 have set a as the media we have set too low a standard for that. So it is just like you'll get a call from somebody, and they'll say, "Oh, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening." You go, "Fine." You'll go and check it with somebody, and at no, and then somebody else, and then at no point along the line do you think. Well, I should quote you, because you're speaking in an, an official capacity, even if it's just a spokesman for Everton said. We don't do any of that, which means that there is this kind of free-for-all. And what it's created is this monstrous thing where everything is transfer rumours, everything is transfer stories. And numbers, Football365, which is a website that I really like, their numbers, I read relatively recently, their numbers go up in the summer when there's no football on. Because people prefer, we talked about this before. People mm. prefer transfer. They prefer the story around the sport to the sport yeah. itself. People don't actually like football anymore. They like transfer stories. Yeah, people aren't going to bother reading a match report. They, no. They'd much rather these little sort of tidbits of information that can well, you, you generate, see, generate gossip in the office. Yeah, you yeah. see it every season that you know you'll get two games into the season and people are already thinking who should we, who should we who should we sign next summer? Mm. And you think, well, how about you support your team? Yeah. And so you, how about instead of looking at all the other players who aren't playing for your team and who you'd like to play for your team, how about you just support your team and see how they do? Because hope is way better than reality. Exactly. <laughs> people don't like reality intruding. So, and that's why transfer rumours are so popular. I actually think now the le- the less realistic the transfer rumour is, the better. People really hate it when you say, actually, your club's trying to sign such and such from Huddersfield or from Leeds, when they want to be signing, being t- they want to be told. People almost want yeah. to be lied to. There is a willing suspension of disbelief. So Liverpool get, and the Van Dyke story earlier this summer kind of proves it, Liverpool get in loads of trouble for leaking stuff. Liverpool aren't leaking that. Liverpool have really good journalists covering them who have contacts within the club 
who find out what stuff's happening. It's not that Liverpool, it's not like Jurgen Klopp is calling up James Pierce at the Echo going, hey Piercey, we are about to sign Virgil van Dijk. And it will be really good, you know. There That's my not, impression there of Jurgen Klopp. There is not a Premier League manager terrible. who Rory cannot do. It's amazing. It's an amazing. Just stick, stick to Sean Dyke. That's actually, that's actually not my impression of Jurgen. That's my impression of a friend of mine at Bayern Munich. Anyway, <laughs> I, all my German impressions are the same. It's, it's not that, like... The, the, People people think of Leeds as the wrong thing. It's not it's not state of play. It's not house of cards. It's it's, it's people doing their job. It's, it's journalists who are employed by by kind of external organisations to find out information, finding out information. And if Liverpool look like they have a lot of Leeds, what that actually means is Liverpool have got some really good journalists covering them. So Liverpool kind of. But that, that's you're looking at that from the maybe from, yeah, you're from looking at it from a journalist point. Yeah. But you, they, you, you, what they are leaks, but there's journalists knowing where, where the leaks where are, to where to stick the their fingers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so they, they are and again the decades sometimes of relationships built yeah, up with those people exactly. that they are able to rely upon, and those people, those sources, are able to rely on their anonymity because they have the yeah, relationship. So they trusted. But what's really interesting with Liverpool is that there is an assumption that the journalists should not be reporting things that are damaging to the club but what is and the, the, the thing that they do kind of that they get most abuse for is when they knock transfer stories down so they'll say you know Liverpool aren't interested in signing Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi. <laughs> what are you talking about you're just doing FSG's propaganda and it's this people just lose their minds over transfer the whole thing I used to love going on CFATs or Salitex, whichever it was, and going on the, like, the club call pages and seeing, you know, the club that I support, like, who were they going to sign? There was always some Cockermemi link. I very rarely rang the number, does it cost a fortune? <laughs> but I loved it, and I, 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 for a long time, loved transfer stories. But now, I just find the whole thing so depressing, really, because there is this kind of... You're not you're not living in today. You're living in tomorrow. You're thinking, who can we sign? Who can we sign? It, it is true. You, you were talking earlier about how, is it, you know, isn't it a shame that... Uh, that we there can't be a bit more honour about it. You know, you can't get a straight answer to a straight question. You know, when you're inquiring about the rights or wrongs of a of a transfer story. I mean, it is unfortunately naive of us to think that it'll that will yeah. ever change. No, you know, that, no. that that's another sort of one of the many footballing oil tankers that you know is just Im- impossible to turn around, isn't it? I, I assume something else I wanted to ask you, Rory, is is that I, I guess there are journalists who are the preferred journalists of whether it's clubs or agents or or players to get information out there, and that sometimes these stories come into being because a journalist is protecting their relationship with a source. So a journalist, for example, might know that that that's very unlikely to happen. It's it's not a, a viable transfer story but that might still make its way into a newspaper or onto the radio or television because that journalist is is protecting the stream of information that they get from that that particular person yeah so you you, you will get ones where that are effectively not red herrings but disguises so mm. it, and it manifests most frequently in Bolton Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday are all looking at such and such a player and in reality, it's just one of them. But the other two names have gone in to kind of disguise that. Yeah. You occasionally get told, I've been told before, and have done it to get the fee slightly wrong. Because if the information's too good, it's obvious where it's come from. So you, right. if the player's going to cost 8.5 million, you maybe say yeah. it's going to cost seven. And people think, oh, well, it can't be from him. Does it, the fee's wrong. All of this other information, only that man would know. But the fee's wrong. So how on earth could it have been <laughs> him? No, it's definitely not him. Uh, and you'll also, you, you do get uh, stories that are planted to encourage kind of new contracts or to to uh, smoke out other offers that in Spain that happens all the time that Mbappe is a brilliant example the number of stories that Marker have run 
on Real Madrid trying to sign Kylian, Kylian Mbappe, which could just be headlined, uh, we want Real Madrid to sign Kylian Mbappe. We're now pretending that Liverpool or Man United or Arsenal have made an offer for him. But to get Real Madrid... To get Real Madrid to, to put a bid in. and or to, it's, it's someone at Real Madrid try, trying to establish a price in, in that case, in fact. Um, so, yeah, so there is kind of this... There are there are little tricks and shenanigans, but I don't think. Well, a, I mean, I stand by the statement: journalists don't make stuff up. I think that you there is a like what you said earlier is really important. There is a code to it. That there will always be an element of truth in there. And the other thing is, and this is something that is not nearly kind of taken into consideration enough. If you're a, a top six Premier League, top two, three, four Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A leader team. How many players are there? That are, how many players are there out there that you are scouting who you could realistically sign? Not many. There's probably a pool of let's be really generous and say a thousand players in the world. Yeah, pri- prime aged players. They might have a whole series of kind of youth. Yeah, there's lots, there's lots of yeah, yeah. yeah. Leaving aside youth scouting to, to buy to slot in yeah, first so the, eleven immediately. Yeah. Maybe not even a thousand. Then I don't know, five hundred. They're all watching all of them all of the time. I mean, all this whole time, oh, such and such, you know, Man United are watching such and such. Yes, of they, are they are all watching Every, all of them. Like, like Kylian Mbappe. Oh, yes, I only found out about him in February. Yeah, no, <laughs> even, even kind of Lindelof. You know, all the, all the Man United are watching Lindelof stories kind of earlier, like December, January. Yeah, he's a central de- defender for Benfica. Benfica have been Portuguese champions for four years or whatever. Amazingly, Manchester United are aware who's in their first team and occasionally will send somebody to look at them. Yeah. Well, and might even have a scout in the area, would you believe? Incre- incredibly, or an agent who knows how to deal with Benfica, for example. There are, co- there, are co- commenta- <laughs> that there are co-commentators that I work with who additionally advise clubs mm. as to potential transfer targets, players they might be interested in. And, you know, although they, they also do that in an official capacity for clubs, and they go and watch games and they, they travel around the world watching players that obviously if you're co-commentating on a game, that's another opportunity for you to absorb that kind of information and to, you know, and to to run an eye over a particular player. You, you've been asked for your opinion yeah, as well. And that, well yeah, and they often... <gasps> do tell. Incredibly, they'll, they'll often say, or oh, if you, if you in, you know, covering, you know, Serie A or Liga or whatever, you, you see a player who, you, you know, really stands out for you that you think, I might not have noticed. Let me know. Yeah. And whenever I... I've never once passed on a name of a player who's impressed me that they don't already have a file several centimetres thick of information yeah. on. They're so, I spotted they're so this, knowledgeable. this lad playing for Roma at the number 10. <laughs> yeah. I, might, I might go and see him and then ask him about his career. <laughs> the only problem is his age might be against him. You're going to have Possibly, to move quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Might have another season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, should, we should finish because we're going to be talking next week about other aspects. So can I make, final can I, thought. Can I, this, is, this is completely unrelated but it's been on my mind a lot recently and I think I, I, don't, I don't know what... Has this to do with this topic? Yeah, yeah, there are ointments. No, it's fine. <laughs> the I've solved that. It, it went away. Um, the doesn't look like it has. I don't know who our audience is. I don't know what the demographics are. But if there are aspiring football writers, journalists, bloggers, there, this is something that I feel absolutely, really strongly. Journalists are not scouts. I think that's really important, and it's it's only tangentially related to what we're talking about. But there is this rising trend to say. Oh, the lad that Everton signed from from uh, Oypen, who who that was then loaned back to to Anderlecht on uh, Henry and Enyukuru or something on Yukuru. People saying, oh yeah, he's really really talented. Yeah, did really well for Oypen last season. Now he's top scorer in Belgium, so he he probably did. <laughs> but if you're watching a, if I'm not going to make any any moral judgment on why you're watching the Jupiler League. 
Because you have a subscription <laughs> to Premier Sports. <laughs> but I would suggest that perhaps there are better things to do in life than watch the Jupiler League. But this idea that journalists have to have heard of all players and have to have to have this ability to pass judgment on these players you don't your job as a journalist is not to have heard of players that's the scout's job and apparently steve's job <laughs> but the your job as a journalist is is to find out where who, who wants to sign the player how much the player will cost and where he's going to sign that's your job and then if you if you're lucky your job is to write a heart-rending backgrounder on him <laughs> and then to go and interview him that's that's your involvement your involvement as a journalist is not to know how good the player is or to have heard of every striker in Europe or to know who red star belgrade's midfielder is if you do brilliant and we should all make as much attempt as we can to be as familiar with all football. I watch as much football as I can from all over the world because or, I love watching football. Or just play more Football Manager, which is yeah. essentially where all, all my uh, information comes from. But it, but <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, I, it, as I say, it's only tangentially related, but it's something that I think is really important. The scouts do a certain job and the agents do a certain job and journalists do a certain job. And those you don't see agents writing match reports or opinion pieces and journalists are not generally employed to be scouts and I think that there has been this rise because transfer stories are so popular and journalists play up to it a lot of journalists won't ever admit to to not having heard of a player to be honest if it's Germany Italy Spain the top half of France you probably should be vaguely aware of their existence ideally you'd know a bit about them but the chances that you watch them play unless you're a commentator basically zero because we've all got other better things to do other things to do and I think it's really important that people if there are people in our audience who are looking to get into journalism, your job is not... The way the way to succeed is not to say, I've heard of Henry Onyekuru. It's to say, did you know that Henry Onyekuru did this when he was 14 and wouldn't that make a great piece? It's, it's, it's true of, you know, without wanting to lift the veil too much in terms of, you know, football commentators as well. An awful lot of work goes into preparing to commentate on a football match. You don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of every single player in Europe at the start of every season. You have to do your background work before you commentate on the game, refresh your memory about particular players and their influences and their strengths and their weaknesses. You don't... Football fans, I think, sometimes you know believe that, that, that at some point you're given a handbook with all that information and in you memorise it and that sees you through your career. Every game you do, you have to prepare very, very detailed information for so that you are prepared for every eventuality that that game might 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 produce and football fans sometimes feel like because you're commentating on a league you know about every single player in that league now you you know about the players involved in the two teams of the game that you're going to commentate mm. on and and the more time you spend covering those teams Inspiring, in that league yeah. That, that information starts to stick and, and the depth of your knowledge develops over time but it isn't something that you, you were given on day one and it sees you through it's, it's, it's something that you know that develops over time but equally your job is not to have to be able to pass judgement on those players yeah. it's it, to say that you know he, he would do this that and that yeah. and the other if he signed for this that or the other club your, your job is to to pass on the information that you have yeah. to make it an entertaining spectacle for your viewers yeah. that's these are all bespoke roles and did, it, did you just sum up infotainment I did <laughs> I think of Steve as an infotainer anyway that was all very pious I'm very but sorry we, but th- th- I know other commentators get this as well you, you get you get abuse on Twitter if you you know say you know commentating on Juventus and you, Alexandro you know 
close up of Alexandro and you pass comment on the fact that you know he's been linked with a move to the Premier League well Juventus fans are furious about mm. that but you can't ignore that that information is out there to yeah. protect the sensitivities of a Juventus fan Alexandro is being linked with a move to the Premier League it is relevant in the context of the game that's being played mm. in the same week that that information has materialised so yeah you, you're right you, you your job is to analyse things at the given time mm. not not within the context of you know years and years and if we are broadcasting to aspiring journalists aspiring commentators and aspiring presenters the only advice I have learn how to say their names don't get it wrong <laughs> um, we have um, no chinch as you may well have noticed um, so there is no soccer story to end this particular podcast but uh, when we bring the conversation to a conclusion next week uh, we will try and contribute our own tales from our working lives uh, this will be not nearly as dramatic as a soccer story and there will be literally no mentions of either Andy Booth or Neville Southall um, but we will have that so that is something exciting to look forward to when we conclude our transfer conversation on next week's set piece menu until then please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule uh, we do also continue to be amazed by the thoughtfulness of your topic suggestions uh, so we'd love them to flow in even further on either at set piece menu or set piece menu at gmail.com thank you to steve and to rory and to you for listening we'll be back with the second part of our transfer special on set piece menu very very soon I didn't really miss Chinch. In fact, it was only he just mentioning the soccer story thing. I'd, I'd forgotten he wasn't even I, here. So had I. I'd completely forgotten him. Uh, it, we, should, we should get some super dry and just hang it over a chair. I think I've got an old hoodie upstairs. An old hoodie? Can we yeah, do that? Just I stopped wearing it in my 20s. In memoriam. Just put a post-it. In yeah. memoriam, Chinch. Back soon. Well, he's not dead. Well... The, um, to me he's dead is. to us for a couple of weeks <laughs> no don't say that I mean it, it's bad enough that we now actually have a whatsapp group without him <laughs> <laughs> it has officially well, I had to because you know I didn't want to want to disturb him he's going to be really offended well, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't want to know what we were talking about this week because he'd have maybe changed his plans he'd have been so desperate to get involved I'm we, sure he's got lots of deep and meaningful thoughts to contribute on